Happy Friday. Welcome into NSN Daily. Chris Murray, I'm Brian Samudia. Alex Margulies uh, directing the ship behind the scenes right now. We may bring him in for a little little uh, voice behind the curtain sort of thing maybe in this show, but it's a plenty to talk about. Nevada's got Fresno State on Saturday night. Pack still about a seven-point favorite. We'll get Chris's three keys and a prediction on that. Nevada men's basketball is supposed to have a return trip to San Francisco to play the Dons, but it's sounding more and more like that is not going to happen. So we'll get into what's happening there. A former member of uh, Reno 1868 FC is going to be wearing the red, white, and blue of the men's national team. That's really cool. And uh, Lawler Event Center. I mean, talk about a building that has really held up since it was built, Chris, and the history behind it. We're going to find out if Chris has ever gone to some crazy concerts there <laughs> at uh, Lawler Event Center. But uh, let's start off with football, Chris. Um, this has felt like a long week, hasn't it? Even though it was a late game on Saturday night. I th- I've, it's felt like a long week for Nevada football because of what happened and, and taking their first loss. Yeah, I'm sure the Wolfpack players have felt that way as well. They want to get back on the field and show that the loss to Hawaii was an anomaly and this is still a championship caliber team. And they're going to have to do that against a Fresno State team that's also playing for a championship. I know they dropped their season opener to Hawaii pretty lopsidedly and everyone was kind of counting them out coming off a bad season last year and not having a lot of practice time this offseason. But, uh, you know, at three and one, they're still in position where they could get to a Mountain West title game if they win their last two games. So um, it's a huge game for both teams. I'm sure Fresno State has felt like it's been a long time since they've had their last two games canceled because of COVID uh, issues within their own program. So, um, you know, I'm sure everyone's waiting for kickoff. It's going to be a late one. Everyone's going to have to wait until 730. None of these afternoon kickoffs. But uh, Nevada was used to that last week. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how they rebound. Uh, Jay Norvell even said that this week. He wants to see how his team handles its first adversity of the season with its first loss. And I, I think they'll go out there and play well for sure. But this is, to me, the best team uh, outside of maybe San Diego State that Nevada has played this year. Fresno State hasn't been completely tested. They have the second easiest schedule in the nation so far. But um, they're really, really talented, specifically in the skill position players on offense. One thing we've seen when teams have to take a break, when they have to go into a pause another one of those 2020 words, is when they hit the field again, they either look really, really good or there's a ton of rust. What do you expect out of the Bulldogs there? I think they'll look good as long as they're 100%. Uh, and their coach, Kalen DeBoer, said earlier this week that he's not sure that they'll be 100%. They've had to have moderated practices. Um, they haven't been able to have their full, uh, you know, complement of players out there because of the 14-day quarantine period. So depending upon when some of these people had to go into the contact tracing protocol, um, they've kind of come out staggered throughout the week. So, uh, you know, I, I think they'll come out and play well as well. I mean, Fresno State had been playing really, really well since that season opening loss. Now it was against teams uh, like Colorado State, like UNLV, like Utah State. And these are not the better teams in the Mountain West. But, um, you know, I think the extra rest will help a little bit. Uh, you know, I think you would like to have played games, uh, get a little bit of a rhythm, get a little bit more familiar, especially because Fresno State basically sent all their players home last spring break and didn't bring them back to about a month before the, they announced they were going to have a, a season. Um, they were not practicing all summer like Nevada was and like some of these other Mountain West teams were. So they haven't been together quite as much. So I'm sure they would have liked to have played games. But I do think, um, you know, there is a bonus to having some kind of a rest as opposed to Nevada coming back from a game at Hawaii. Now you're talking about the top two offenses in the Mount West Conference here. And if Nevada's slow down Fresno State, you have to put pressure on the quarterback, which leads me back to number 99, Don Peterson, who uh, suffered the ankle injury in the loss last week at Hawaii. Uh, any update on Don? 
Yeah, nothing since we talked with Jay on Monday, which was basically that they're not ruling him out and they're hopeful that he will play. So I would probably list him as questionable. I think he will suit up and try and give it what he has. Uh, you know, it was a pretty significant ankle sprain, but it wasn't any like a high ankle sprain, which is usually a couple of week injuries. So uh, obviously he's a big boy, 300 pounds. You don't want to be running around on a sprained ankle, but um, I do think he'll be out there. He might just be limited. And if he is, I think the guy you have to look at is Tristan Nichols. He hasn't done a ton this season, but he's kind of their pass rushing specialist from the interior. Uh, you know, had four sacks last year, and he has uh, shown that he's capable of getting into the backfield. And Fresno State likes to throw the ball deep. Um, so the quarterback tends to hold the ball a little bit longer trying to hit those deep plays. So I think a pass rush is going to be huge in this game. Fresno State's offensive line is better than it was last year. Uh, they did return four starters. It's a big group, 315 pounds per starter. But I wouldn't say it's one of the better offensive lines in the Mountain West uh, in terms of pass protection or running the ball. I mean, they're running for less than four yards per carry. So some opportunity for sure for Nevada's defensive line and no player better on Nevada's roster than Don Peterson to go out there and create those happy plays. And what you do there, if you're a defensive front and you put pressure on the quarterback, it takes pressure off of your secondary. Right now, the secondary will be tested big time against the Bulldogs. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and you know, they hadn't played a bunch of quality quarterbacks so far this season until going to Hawaii. And, you know, they struggled specifically on third down to get some stops. I mean, they are starting a true freshman in A.J. King, and Hawaii targeted him a little bit. So I wouldn't be surprised if Fresno State tries to go after the young guy. I think A.J. is going to be a tremendous player in time. But uh, whenever you're playing as a true freshman quarterback, you're going to have some uh, you know difficulties because it is such a difficult position to play. So this is by far the best passing game Nevada has faced this year. Uh, their quarterback is a transfer from Washington, uh, uh, Jake Hayner, uh, averaging more than 300 yards per game. He can run the ball a little bit as well. Um, you know, he's scored a couple of touchdowns with his legs. I, that's not his forte, but, um, you know, he's got some some quality receivers as well. They're top five pass catchers, all averaging at least 12 yards per catch. Uh, their running back, Ronnie Rivers, very involved in the throwing game. So, um, you know, he has a nice complement of players to be playing with. Jalen Cropper is a very good wide receiver. And Ronnie Rivers is the best running back in the Mountain West. So he takes some pressure off of Jake in that situation. He scored a touchdown in 12 straight games. So he's kind of like their Romeo Dubs. They kind of go as Ronnie Rivers goes. Um, so, you know, watch for Nevada to try and really clamp down on him. And I think the Wolfpack linebackers have played really uh, well this year. Lawson Hall, Deion Henley, and they'll be important in this game, specifically against Ronnie kind of leaking out uh, and getting some of these past receptions that they like to, to get him. Yeah, you mentioned Deion Henley. Deion Henley, if you looked at him when he was a freshman and you looked at him now, you would not recognize him. I'll, I'll bet his parents wouldn't recognize him physically. He's, he's gotten so much, he's put on so much muscle starting as a wide receiver and then moving over to the linebacker position. But uh, it is back-to-back -back Friday. We always go through the, Chris, your three keys and a prediction. Uh, if I haven't already stomped all over them, roll them out. Uh, yeah, the first one is get some turnovers. That's been a major issue for Nevada's defense. They literally have not forced a single fumble this entire season. Now, they recovered one on a backwards pass, but they just have not gotten a lot of big plays with only three turnovers created in six games. Now, Fresno State has uh, turned the ball over seven times in four games, so I think you're going to have to see Nevada get a turnover or two to come out on top in this game. The second one is win the 20-yard the play battle. Uh, Fresno State's offense has 21 offensive plays this year in four games of 20-plus yards, so they're a big play offense, but they've given up a ton of big plays as well. They've given up 23 plays of 20-plus yards, 13 of them being rushes. So the run defense has not been uh, good. I would not be surprised if Toa Tawa had a couple of really long runs in this game. And obviously Nevada's offense with Romeo Dubs, uh, expert at making these big plays. Seven catches for Romeo this year of at least 50 yards. So uh, Nevada did not have a lot of big offensive plays against Hawaii. They need to be able to get back uh, on that uh, track against a team that has given up big plays. And the third one is the penalties. I mean, Nevada's just had an issue with penalties. 50 penalties this year, that's the most in the Mountain West. 
the 12th most in the entire nation. Um, they're basically giving up 70 yards per game of penalties, and they're not creating a lot of penalties. If you look at their opposition, their opposition has only been flagged 29 times, which is the fewest in the Mountain West as well. So they're not putting a lot of pressure on the opponent to make mistakes. Jay Norvell has railed against his team's penalties the entire season. So they just need to play a much cleaner game than we've seen, even when they were winning earlier this year. Uh, my prediction, I am going Fresno State 35, uh, Nevada 34. The Bulldogs are a touchdown favorite. Uh, Fresno State first in the nation in sacks per game this year. So they have a really good pass rush against Nevada's offensive line, which has been better, but a little bit so-so. Uh, and then that Fresno State passing game against Nevada's secondary, I think, is a big plus for the Bulldogs. Uh, you know, obviously going out on a limb a little bit, picking a road underdog by a touchdown. But um, I think this is going to be a great game. Uh, there's obviously a lot of stakes. Who Basically, whoever loses is not going to be in the Mountain West Championship game. Um, so I think it's going to be an instant classic. I do have Fresno State winning by a point. I can't agree with you more when it comes to penalties. You know, I mean, we've seen touchdowns. We, I guess, wait, you saw a touchdown taken away because of an unnecessary roughness penalty that wasn't anywhere near the play. You know, it was a run to the right and it was on the left side of the line. It just, it just, just use your head. This game basically ended on a pass interference call. They could have gone either way near the end zone against Hawaii. So uh, cooler heads have to prevail and, and you have to be smart. You cannot give up first downs and have touchdowns taken away on penalties and it's 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 self-inflicted wounds uh you know what I'll, I'll i'll buck the trend here i'll go nevada 34 31 uh against fresno state maybe on a late brandon talton field goal to take the lead and uh and to win this one so i'll, I'll go against the trade and and uh, and uh, i'll go i won't take i don't i don't know that uh, nevada's gonna be able to cover if they win i don't know they get cover uh but uh, this ought to be a dandy one uh it's gonna be on seven at 7 30 p.m fs2 on, uh, on, the, on the television dial, if you want to check that out. ESPN Radio, 94.5 FM. That's uh, our friends John Ramey and Big Mike Edwards. Their uh, pregame show starts an hour ahead of time. So uh, their pregame show will be at 6.30 for listening on the radio and tailgating in the backyard. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, Wolfpack men's basketball team is scheduled, scheduled at the time of the taping of this show to play on Sunday at San Francisco. But eh, we don't think it's going to happen. We'll tell you why next. Well, we're hoping that the men's basketball team is going to be able to get in a game on Sunday. They certainly need to get back out of the court and, and get some confidence back after getting drubbed at home by San Francisco. They were scheduled to play the Dons in the city on Sunday afternoon. But, Chris, we're finding out that uh, their game, the Dons game against Cal Poly, that was supposed to be played tonight, has been moved from San Francisco to Cal Poly, so San Luis Obispo. And now we're hearing rumblings that Nevada's game was going to get flat-out canceled. Yeah, I mean, it would make some sense. And obviously, there are more uh, restrictive COVID-19 restrictions in the Bay Area right now. They just had a stay-at-home order because their ICUs that are, are at greater than 85%. So, um, you know, you're probably not going to see any games played in the Bay Area. I'm sure if the Dons wanted to come to Reno, that could be a potential. But you're going to have them driving back from San Luis Obispo, and then they'd have to basically turn around and go back out to Reno for an afternoon game. So seems more than likely that this game is not going to happen. Maybe Nevada doesn't uh, mind too much, given how the first game between the two down. But I think the more games Nevada can play before conference play, the better, uh, you know, even if they are losses, because it's still something to learn from. It's still game film to be able to teach off of if you're Coach Alford and Coach Neal. So it uh, seems unlikely at this stage. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's kind of the norm nowadays. I mean, the women's basketball team's already had three of its four games affected. So, uh, you know, Nevada got through its first four games without any issues, even though that tournament up in Nebraska was a little hit, or, hit and miss. Um, so, you know, if they, if they lose one of their first five games, you know, they've at least gotten something uh, to kind of, you know, get a feel for where their team is right now and where they need to improve and where, where they're strong. 
Yeah, I think they're fortunate that they've gotten four games in already. I mean, you look at a lot of teams, and they haven't been able to get anything in. And, uh, you know, I, I, this, this matchup against San Francisco, I was looking forward to them maybe getting a chance to, uh, okay, what did we do wrong against a team that's going to shoot threes? Because you're going to run into that down the line. That's not a, that's not a magical sort of thing. That's, that's not the wing tee in football so that somebody runs. There are teams that, that pride themselves and live and die by shooting the three. I was really hoping they were going to get a chance to go on the road again and kind of maybe bow their necks and go, all right, we're better than this. We're better than losing like that at home. And guys, let's get them more of an effort out of this. Yeah, I think if you're San Francisco and you have the opportunity to take a weekend off, I don't know the Don's schedule after that. I don't have it in front of me. But yeah, I'd, I'd probably go, hey, let's go to Cal Poly. Let's get a win. Let's go home and let's rest for a few days. But uh, yeah. I'm not getting on a bus and go back to Reno. No, I mean, it's a lot of travel. I mean, they just had to bus out to Reno for a game Wednesday, bus down to Cal Poly for a game on Friday. They have to bus back out to Reno for a game on Sunday. So maybe they do take it easy a little bit. Uh, if that game is canceled and Nevada doesn't slot anything into, uh, you know, the early part of next week, their next game would be next Friday against Grand Canyon University. That'll be a, a big day in general for the Wolfpack because Nevada football will be playing San Jose State that day. But, um, you know, may, may, maybe they're able to find a game, kind of as we talked about yesterday with the women's team, uh, between now and Friday. That is a road game at Grand Canyon, so you probably want the game played by Tuesday or earlier. Uh, maybe that's not realistic. Maybe, you know, you can't get a Sac State or UC Davis to come over. But, uh, you know, have a little bit of rest isn't the worst thing in the world with finals coming up. Am I unrealistic for the, the thing I think of is, all right, Grand Canyon is in the Phoenix area. Uh, what if you call somebody? Hey, Arizona State. You know, uh, what are you guys doing Tuesday night? Let's 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 run the run the ball up and down the court. Is that how it's going to be this this season? Once you get into these COVID cancellations, is it going to be? You know, you've got an assistant athletic director hopping on the horn and going, "I've got a buddy at Sac State. Let me call him or her and say, hey, you guys want to just come on up the hill and uh, and we'll play ball, play ball." Yeah, I mean, you're definitely going to have to be flexible. I mean, we saw last week San Diego State football had a game canceled against Fresno State, and literally within the next day they had scheduled the game at Colorado, uh, you know, who they had to play a couple of days later. So, um, you know, just to be able to get on the court, you're going to have to use a little bit of creativity. Uh, yeah, having connections and friends in the business is huge, and obviously Steve Alford has a ton of those. Not saying that there is going to be a game scheduled before Grand Canyon, but I'm sure they'll, uh, you know, at least look into some options because, as I mentioned, I mean, especially with a young team like Coach Alford has, you just want these guys out there playing ball um, because you're already losing uh, four non-conference games because the season was pushed back. Usually uh, you have 12. This year you only have uh, seven. Uh, you could have one more with a, a mutual uh, tournament game. So uh, Nevada is not going to be as into the schedule and maybe as developed as it normally would heading into Mountain West play just because of some of the changes that were made uh, to the non-conference season. These preseason games are big for everybody because this team is trying to gel is there somebody on the roster that you've looked, you've seen in a very small sample size, obviously, in four games that you go, you know what, I think these preseason games are big for this player or this group of players? Oh, well, Warren Washington. Uh, Alex asked him a number of really good questions after the USF game. Warren played really well against the Dons, and he was even kind of admitting that, you know, he's still getting used to playing basketball again after sitting out basically 600 days. So, um, you know, if you can get a seven-footer who's super, super comfortable, um, you know, once you get the Mountain West play, that's huge. You look around the landscape of the Mountain West, um, there aren't a lot of traditional centers. So if you have a traditional center and you like to play inside-out basketball, I think that's huge. I think, uh, you know, Desmond Cambridge has certainly gotten off to a slow 
slow start. So I think the more games that he can play, uh, the better. Because this is a really talented guy. This is a guy who's probably one of, on paper, the top 15 players uh, in the Mountain West. But he just hasn't played like that so far this season. Uh, you know, he's averaging only 10 points per game. He's shooting 34% from the field, only 18.5% from three. So he's a much better player than that. He was at Brown and then had to sit out all of last year. So uh, I think the more games he can play, I think, is, is great as well. Just so uh, he knocks off that rust from basically sitting out two full seasons. I really love what this is giving these young players the opportunity to do. And then talk about a different, completely different landscape uh, than the way that Muss handled his team. Al Husanovich, uh, you're seeing him come out into big situations and get get some good run. You've been able to see Trey Coleman, who I, I've fallen in love with this guy from day one. I really love the way he plays. I love his aggressiveness. He's not, he's not afraid of anything. He's played in big arenas. He is an Indiana guy, so he's an Alford guy. So I think a lot of these young guys have really had had the chance. But Grant Sherfield certainly was as advertised. Um, maybe at times trying to do too much. You know, there were there were a couple of times you saw it really at the end of the first half, where uh, it, it appeared to be a lob that was trying to be put up for uh, for Big Warren Washington and Washington. Thought, I think Washington just thought he was going to take the shot. So you know, I, it, it's this gelling and understanding. All right. I know what this guy's going to do in this situation. So, yeah, the more games that they can get in right now, the better. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll stay on top of this and, and uh, definitely let you know if uh, Nevada's game in San Francisco on Sunday is either canceled, postponed, or moved. And uh, hopefully wouldn't surprise me if Coach Alford's already on the phone this morning with coaches and saying, hey, Let's get out and uh, let's get out and play a little round ball. Uh, we got to get a game in. So, coming up next here on NSN Daily, JT Marcinkowski, former goalkeeper for Reno 1868 FC, has been elevated to the national team level. We'll have that next. You know, Reno 1868. I'm I'm really hoping that down the line that this team returns to Greater Nevada Field or maybe another a different venue here in Northern Nevada, but. Uh, Talk about some great memories in the short time that they were at the field. But uh, now, finding out late yesterday that JT Marcinkowski, former goalkeeper for 1868, he's going to be trading in uh, the, his colors for the red, white, and blue, and he's been elevated to the U.S. men's national team, Chris. It really, uh, in this country, doesn't get much bigger than that. No, it's awesome. I mean, uh, the U.S. team is playing El Salvador on Wednesday in the Miami area. Uh, JT played about 40 matches uh, for Reno 1868 in 2018, 2019, second all time in save, second all time in shutout. So, uh, you know, one of the uh, kind of big names to come out of the program, uh, played with the earthquakes this last year, uh, started his college career at Georgetown. So uh, they only have three keepers on the team entering this week. So to be one of the three best keepers in the United States right now, Really, really cool deal. He took the spot of David Ochoa, who had a quad injury. So um, not not sure that he's going to be able to play, but he's definitely been on their youth market. I mean, he's played for the national team, uh, 16 and under, 18 and under, 20 and under uh, teams as well. So, I mean, this is a guy who's kind of been in that pipeline for a long time. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll be able to break through with the World Cup not too far down the road. Maybe if he plays really well over the next year or two, uh, you know, maybe he makes the national team for the biggest sporting event uh, on the globe's history. Well, he's only 23. I mean, this guy, this guy was in college, you know, just a few years ago playing at Georgetown. He played there for three years, ended up with, uh, with 1868. He's, he, has, he has international experience at, at a number of youth levels um, between under 14, under 18. Um, also, though, when you look at his experience in Reno, he was outstanding. I mean, made 16 starts, 16 appearances for uh, the 1868 club in 2019, where he uh, recorded four shutouts and uh, was the club's rookie of the year in 2018. I mean, this is a guy who, 
you know, was very under the radar uh, at 1868. And, and maybe it's because, you know, as Americans, we, we like guys that hit home runs. So you got like guys that score goals. It's, you look at Dane Kelly back in the day, Brian Brown back in the day, you know, all these guys that, that hit the ball and put the ball in the back of the net and maybe overlook how good your, your keeper is. Yeah, we didn't talk a lot about goalkeeping and defense when we uh, would talk about Reno 1868 FC. I mean, we always talk about the offense. Ian Russell, obviously a very offensive coach, so they kind of get the most of the shine. But, yeah, certainly played really well. And he was on that under-23 team that was part of the U.S.'s uh, Olympic qualifying uh, team in March that went down to Mexico. Unfortunately, that all got canceled because of COVID, and then the Olympics had to be pushed back. But there was a very real chance that he would have been playing in the Olympics this past year had we been able to hold them. So, um, you know, you could probably – age out of that bracket next year I'm not sure what the Olympic rules are going to be on that but typically for soccer teams you're only allowed to have two or three players above that 23 age limit so maybe they're uh, going to use the standard from players who were eligible if we had held it this last summer so maybe that's still on the plate for him but yeah certainly a guy who's played against really really good competition and uh, you know it just shows you how great that Reno 1868 FC was on the field uh, unfortunately them having to cease operations in the last month um, you know, it's been a backbreaker for a lot of local soccer fans, but, uh, you know, them sending three players up to MLS, right, as they did uh, fold out, um, you know, having a number of players in the MLS for the regular season this last year, having a guy now on the national team, uh, it, it really is remarkable what they were able to do as a franchise, just if you look on the on-field product and the players they were able to have come through their system. Getting back to 1868 for a moment, I mean, it's, it's been about a month since we got that news, you know, it's been a few weeks. Um, do you have a gut feeling now that that kind of storm has passed a little bit do you have a gut feeling of you know now you've been able to kind of process it what's going to be the future of soccer in northern Nevada? I mean, it's going to be tough. Uh, as the guys would mention all the time who were running the club, they were the smallest market in the USL. So they were kind of always an underdog. They were kind of always an unlikely story just because you want this big population base to be able to flow in revenue, whether it's from businesses with the skyboxes, whether it's just from uh, people coming out to the field. And uh, it doesn't look like we're going to be through uh, COVID-19 for a little while here. So maybe they come back in like 2023, but it's definitely going to be uh, have to be somebody who really loves soccer and really loves the community to match the two together. Uh, you know, Herb Simon, who owned the team and owns the Reno Aces, is up there in age. So I'm not sure that he's going to be looking at it two, three years uh, down the road and say, let's bring him back. But uh, you definitely have an Eric Edelstein, the president of both of those organizations, somebody who loves soccer, somebody who believes in soccer. So as long as he's still in town, I think the door will be left open because he believes that is a sport that's going to continue to grow in America and that could have a very successful future in Northern Nevada. And I think they were doing a good job. I mean, the attendance wasn't like, you know, top 10 in the league, but they certainly punched above their weight. I think the community members really did come out and support the organization. It's just, uh, you know, there's a thin margin for error and that margin for error was completely blown apart uh, by not being able to have fans in the stands this year. So uh, I think it'll be a couple years before that's a realistic even talking point. Um, I would probably bet against it in the next decade or so, but it's it's not unrealistic to think that you could see soccer, even if it's not at the USL level, maybe it's a little bit lever, uh, one one below that, um, just because it's a little bit more affordable and the um, expenses are not quite as high. Yeah, unless you have somebody that comes out of the out of the weeds with a big pot of cash and a love for the game of soccer, you know that that that's the problem. Is that money unfortunately becomes the bottom line. It wasn't about effort. It wasn't about dedication or attention to detail. The front office in 1868 was impeccable when it came to all that. It wasn't about the product on the field. Ian Russell could coach for any team in the country when it comes to MLS. He could coach for any one of them. Uh, he basically had to, to turn his, his strategy on the field upside down completely when the San Jose Earthquakes basically said, this is what you're going to run. And he's like, okay, I'll go out and win a regular season championship, even though the USL doesn't 
recognize that. We recognize that. I recognize that. It's a regular season championship. But it was money at the end of the day that, uh, that put 1868, hopefully just down for a nap, not, not to bed forever. But we would, uh, I'd love to be able to cover that team once again. I know Alex would, would as well. Coming up next year on NSN Daily, it's one of the keystones of the University of Nevada campus, the Lawler Event Center. The history of it, Chris has done a great write-up on the website, and uh, we'll, we'll go through some of our memories of covering sports there at the Big Arena. Well, when you pull up to the University of Nevada, it's this big circular building that's right there in front of uh, campus, and uh, it's, it's absolutely magnificent. I mean, when you look at arenas around the Mountain West Conference, uh, you really can't say that uh, there are a ton that are better than Lawler. I mean, you've got Viejas in San Diego, which is outstanding, the Pitt, New Mexico, uh, of course, Thomas and Mac down south. But, uh, Chris, uh, Nevada, for a, a university that this size, has been pretty fortunate to have that as a place they can play basketball since the 80s. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about it being nice now. Think about 37 years ago when it opened in 1983, how cool that place would have been when they were playing their games at either the old gym or the Centennial Coliseum a little bit further south in town. So, um, yeah, I, I meant to write this story before the home opener on Monday, but there's a lot going on, so I didn't get to it until yesterday. But it's basically 12 fun facts uh, about Lawler Event Center. Um, you know, stories that I kind of collected over the years and written about a little bit here and there. But I don't think a lot of people know how it was built. So $26 million in slot taxes um, that uh, the state gave uh, to Nevada. And then UNLV got $30 million to build Thomas and Max. So they were built in the exact same time with the exact same money. $26 million in current money, if you include inflation, is basically $68 million. So huge investment into building that thing. And uh, I remember when I was talking with Joe Crowley several years ago, the UNL president at the time, uh, he told me that the original capacity for Lala was supposed to be 18,000 people because they wanted to match Thomas and Max Center. He said, that is way too big. Why don't we do something about 8,000 people? And they uh, ended up uh, kind of going in between 11,500. But uh, kind of would have been interesting if it was an 18,000 person arena, um, which was the original plan when they did build it in 1983. I think it still stands up, though. I mean, but when you're fighting the recruiting war and you're trying to bring kids in and show them this is where you're going to get to play basketball, if they're coming from small town wherever or maybe a, a big city high school, when you walk into Lawler, they're not going to walk in and think that it's rinky-dink. They're not going to walk in and think that it's small. I think that you walk in and you go, wow, this is going to be fun when this is full. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they've played NBA uh, exhibition games there for many, many years. Uh, it's Definitely. It might not be state of the art because it doesn't have the luxury boxes. But if you think about uh, stadiums on the West Coast, I've been to most of them in the Pac-12, the Mountain West and the West Coast Conference. And, uh, you know, it's definitely up there, I think, in the top 10 to 15. And it's a really, really cool place to see a game when it's full. And I think the size is perfect because if it is 18,000, you're not going to be able to create the kind of energy, atmosphere and noise. Um, you know, and then it's, it's not like small, like St. Mary's or Gonzaga, where you're talking about 3000 for St. Mary's, like 5,000 for Gonzaga. So, uh, you can get 10,000 plus people in there and really just, you know, have, have a great atmosphere. So, um, you know, I think it is Nevada's best facility. Uh, you know, Mackey Stadium has obviously gone through some renovations of late and they've tried to upgrade that, but, uh, I'm hundred percent with you. When you bring somebody in there for recruiting their facilities, not only that, but also the Ramon sessions performance center now are a huge, huge plus. That is not a weakness when you talk about recruiting to Nevada basketball. When, uh, when it comes to memories, you sit in courtside. Uh, I did, I had the, the luxury of doing the same thing for a very long time. Any memories come to mind that you're like, wow, that was a special moment. 
Yeah, I mean, two of them for sure, and they're both pretty recent. One of them was the game against UNLV in 2017 when Michael Buffer did the pregame introductions. Uh, you know, they gave him, uh, I think it was like $25,000 to come out and, uh, you know, do the UNLV Nevada pregame introductions. And it was just a goosebumps moment. That was the most attended game uh, in the history of Lawler Event Center. It was one of four times that they've gone over capacity, 11,841 people. Uh, it holds 11,536 people. And then Nevada went out there, uh, 140 to 77. I think DJ Fenner had 37 points the most for a Nevada player in a UNLV game. So that was just a, an amazing uh, atmosphere. It felt like a boxing match uh, because you had Michael Buffer there. They had the microphone pop down from the rafters. Uh, it was really, really cool. And then uh, actually later that year, uh, November 28, 2017, number one UConn women's basketball and Gabby Williams uh, came into the arena. Uh, I did not cover that game because I wanted to bring my family and my daughter there to kind of see a, a great team. Unfortunately, we lasted about five minutes because my son was three at the time and he kept throwing his hot dog on the court. And I was like, uh, this is going to be bad. He's going to run on the court. So we had to bail on that one early. Um, but yeah, that was the highest attended women's game ever. That one had 7,815 fans. So both of those kind of of the more recent games kind of pop into my head. I'll put two out there and they're a little further back than yours. Uh, back in the mid 2000s, uh, end of the year, uh, Nevada in hosting New Mexico State, Nick Fazekas era. And Lawler absolutely losing its mind. And me being on press row. And um, what, what's the name of the song? It's like the zombie whatever. It's where the kids jump up. That was the first time I'd seen it. And, Law, and I literally, am, I'm writing stuff down because I didn't have a laptop at the time. I'm writing stuff down. And I remember just turning and looking and going, holy crap, stand up, Lawler. Mm -hmm. And it was a great atmosphere. And then... And, and different eras have different atmospheres. And it's not one that's more positive than the next because we've seen under Johnson, Fox, Carter, we saw times. And then under Moss and now Alford, we see times. It's just different. And then the Kirk Snyder basically coming out game when he beat, uh, when they beat Kansas and uh, beat Kansas. David Padgett came back from the Ring of High Star and they beat Kansas at Lawler Event Center. Um, it was, uh, was pretty darn special. I remember a reverse dunk by Kirk. And I'm like, this guy's going to be pretty special. I think he made his debut earlier that year against Fresno State and uh, and was absolutely ridiculous and ended up being one of the best players to ever take the floor there. I, looking at the history of this, first concert at Lawler Event Center. Did you, did you, you looked that up, right? Yeah, Duran Duran, 1984, part of the Sing Blue Silver Tour. Uh, they had just written their hit, Hungry Like the Wolf. So kind of appropriate that they would play the House of the Wolf Pack. But a lot of great bands. I mean, Fleetwood Mac, Cher, Bette Midler, Metallica, Prince, Scorpion, Bon Jovi, Van Halen, Rush, Tom Petty, Aerosmith, Bob Dylan, Elton John, Pearl Jam, Kiss, MC Hammer, Guns N' Roses, Garth Brooks, uh, Pavarotti, Eagles. I haven't been to any of those, uh, unfortunately. I have been to a number of concerts there, Incubus there, uh, Taking Back Sunday. Unfortunately, not very many bands go anymore. Uh, with Reno Event Center opening up, that kind of took away some of it. But when it did first open, it kind of, you know, a lot of these bands didn't stop in Reno. And now they had a, a place where they can go play and sell out 10,000 plus. So um, that was a huge thing uh, to kind of move Reno forward is getting acts like Prince and like Metallica and uh, some of the biggest in uh, in the world stopping by Reno. I saw Metallica there in 04 and it was absolutely fantastic. Had a great time. Uh, but looking back at some of these, uh, it's the, the Eddie Money video uh, shot there at Lawler <laughs> Events Center. Do you have a favorite concert or memory of, of a concert there? 
Yeah, I went with my sister. It, it was Taking Back Sunday, Under Oath, My Chemical Romance. It may have been her first concert. Uh, I think she was only like 15 at the time. So that was a cool experience just to have with my sister. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of just cool stories. Like Eric Musselman coached there twice in exhibition games uh, when he was with the Kings and the Warriors before he actually became Nevada's coach. Steve Alford played an exhibition game at Lawler Event Center long before he ever became uh, Nevada's head coach. I did have somebody reach out uh, for me who's on Nevada's volunteer crew, and he said that Willie Mays used to go to games at Lawler Event Center all the time um, because he actually had a condo in Reno and he just liked basketball. So he would kind of hang out in the same spot and only a few people knew he would be there. So, uh, you know, you're around for 37 years like Lawler Event Center, you're bound to pick up some really, really cool stories. And um, I had not known that Willie Mays thing until this morning when somebody had read the story and reached out to me. So didn't get that one in the story. But, uh, you know, the, the some people who've been around a little bit longer than me have uh, some cool stories as well to share about the arena. I mean, I've covered PBR, Pro Bowl writing events in there. I've covered uh, WWF, back when it was WWF, World Wrestling Federation. They let us in to shoot some of their stuff, and we got to do a feature on, on a bunch of those guys. And uh, in boxing, back Reno, people forget how much of a boxing town Reno used to be. I had the privilege of sitting next to the great Steve Smedden, who wrote for the Reno Gazette Journal, and he was such a great boxing writer. And I sat next to him, and I, I don't recall, I was very, very young. And to listen to him talk about uh, the combat sport and how he was writing his story, how he would, he would judge the fight and he would literally be right on every single time when the, when the judge's cards would come out. So learning moments like that and being able to see something. Have you been to anything weird at Lawler? Because Lawler, I mean, they've had like Disney on ice and stuff like that there. Yeah, uh, I can't recall anything. I don't think I've been to any ice shows. They had like Paw Patrol when my son was watching that we thought about going, but um, yeah, I mean, there are usually some pretty cool events over the years. I, I feel like, and this could be wrong, um, you know, that there are fewer and fewer events that go into Lawler. Uh, you kind of make me nostalgic talking about these concerts and WWF and all that kind of stuff. Uh, my brother's graduation was inside Lawler Event Center. Uh, I was slept. Yeah, I'd overslept when it was supposed to start, but there was a bomb threat that year. So they pushed it back like three hours. So I was able to actually attend uh, because I had slept past it. So, uh, you know, they do winter commencement there all the time. I've been there for a couple of those. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a really historic place. And, uh, you know, named after Jake Lawler. Uh, you know, he was a Wolfpack athlete in the 1920s, then became a head basketball coach of Virginia um, City, uh, won a number of state championships, uh, ended up coaching basketball, football, men's golf, men's tennis uh, with the Wolfpack, was the athletic director for 15 years. and. Uh, you know, he's the all-time winningest coach in Nevada basketball history. I don't think most people know that. 204 wins, more than Eric Musselman, Mark Fox, Trent Johnson, Sonny Allen. Um, so really, really well-deserved to have his name on that building. Certainly a building that has a rich history. And, I mean, even down to sitting courtside and dodging bats. You know, the bat <laughs> when, when the bats were coming down, flying around on the court. And yeah, I, I missed a summer, gradu a, 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 a summer graduation. I was supposed to graduate in May uh, out on the quad. And a Reno fluke snowstorm came in and they moved us inside but it was still a, a great memory either way um, if there were any renovations when you look at Lawler what kind of a facelift would you give it and that's what people have asked is why haven't they held NCAA tournament games there and I think it is the luxury boxes that hold them back uh, because that's a huge money generator 
Uh, we saw the Wolfpack go in and put in a club level at Mackey Stadium a few years ago. And I think if you want to bring Lawler to the next stage, you have to have those luxury boxes, which you can sell for like twenty, thirty thousand dollars per box. Now you'd have to shrink capacity pretty uh, remarkably um, because that would take up a huge chunk of the area. Um, you know, there had been talks about trying to put the uh, practice facility down in kind of the bowels, um, but they obviously have that. So. Um, you know, I think with what we're going through right now with the financial situation that the Wolfpack's facing, you're not going to see a renovation. But there was some talk about adding those those luxury boxes and kind of trying to make it a little bit more modern. Uh, I did mention the slot taxes at the beginning about how it was funded. Those slot taxes actually matured again not too long ago, three years ago. Uh, UNLV got $55 million. They put all of that money into Thomas and Mac to renovate it and make it even better. Uh, Nevada got $26 million. They didn't put any into athletics. They put it into the new engineering school, student fitness center, medical school, and then they did an electrical grid upgrade. So kind of shows you where the priorities of the two schools have been with athletics, not to say one is better than the other. Um, but that maybe would have been that opportunity when they did get those slot taxes again to kind of renovate Lawler. And UNR just went in a different uh, decision and, and put a little bit more into their academic side. Well, if you haven't been up to campus in a while and, uh, you know, I'm not urging you to go out in a group, but to be socially distanced, wear a mask if you go up there. And if you haven't been up there in a while, campus is, uh, has, it would blow you away. Uh, some of the beautiful new buildings they put up there. Uh, so, Chris, thanks for featuring Lala Event Center. If you want to check out uh, the full write-up, just go to the website. That is nevadasportsnet.com. A lot of tidbits in there that I didn't know about and a lot of stories that uh, – that we're probably forgetting now that you know will come to mind later in the day. Uh, coming up next year on NSN Daily, our Dollar Loan Center Money Play of the Week. Some, uh, some race officials saved the life of a Formula One driver earlier this week. The video is spectacular, but he is all right because of the bravery of a few men. That's coming up next. It is Friday. That means our Dollar Loan Center Money Play of the Week. Sometimes it's celebrating somebody's birthday. Sometimes it's an actual play. This time around, it's celebrating uh, some people that, uh, that saved a, a young man's life. And uh, let's go to the video. This is in Bahrain. This is a, a Grand Prix there. And French Formula One driver Romain Grosjean actually walks away from this crash. This is the very first lap of the race. Loses control of the race car. He clips the tire of a fellow, of a fellow driver near the third corner of the track, smashes into a wall, Obviously, the car just absolutely explodes and splits in half. He's pulled out of the fire by some of these, these workers, suffered minor cuts and burns to his hands. He was transported to a hospital for further evaluation. Chris, I'm saying money play for two things here. One, the race workers that, like first responders, jumped right into this fire. Oh, absolutely. Uh, he was in the flames for 28 seconds. He said that he was at peace with dying in those 28 seconds and that he thought that he was dead. Uh, so, I mean, that's got to be such a, a harrowing thing to, to run into flames. I mean, we see our firefighters do it all the time, um, but do in this situation and then save a man's life, um, you know, has to be an absolutely great feeling. And, and you know, just for the driver, um, I'm sure he has a different perspective on life just going through something like that and having to, um, you know, feel like your life was about to be taken away and then eventually get out of those flames. So definitely uh, more than worthy of the money play of the week and uh, money play of the life uh, for Romaine. Uh, the other side of this that I want to credit is the engineers and the people that make these race cars safe. I mean, talk about, hey, major in engineering down the line, man, because you're going to probably save somebody's life. And just the advancements in race cars since even, even the death of, 
of Dale Earnhardt when the Hans device was really instituted and protecting these drivers. But the fact that he was not absolutely crushed inside that cage tells you that somebody somewhere has been, I mean, hundreds and thousands of people have been doing incredible research and work to make something this safe. He hit the ball at 140 miles an hour. Yeah, I mean, that is crazy. I mean, with NASCAR, at least you're in a car. So you got a cage and you I think you would feel a lot safer. I've not been in a, a NASCAR or a Formula One car, but the Formula One car, you just seem so exposed uh, that if something does go wrong, that you're going to be in big, big trouble. And as you mentioned, the engineering on these cars um, make them as safe as possible. Uh, you're basically in a rocket ship. Uh, and, you know, to, like you say, crash at 140 miles an hour. And he came out completely safe. I mean, obviously, the flames did some damage to his hands. But just in terms of his body crashing at that speed to be able to walk away. Um, it is amazing that we've gotten to that point in terms of making cars where um, you can safely exit uh, an accident like the one that you just had. Uh, there was video released on social media earlier this week. Uh, he returned to the racetrack and walking around in his hands are, are completely wrapped. And uh, he's able to walk around and thank these, uh, thank these, these first responders and these race workers. And they, they got to one man and there's a guy named Ian Roberts, he's a, he's a doctor. He was a marshal with the, the extinguisher you saw there. And he's the one who pulled him out and pulled him over the barrier. And he hadn't met him. He didn't know who he was. And then afterwards got the chance to see him and he hugs him and he's in tears. And he says, thank you for saving my life. I mean, good God. I mean, talk about, talk about a moment that you hope never happens. You're hoping that the race goes clean and, and there aren't any crashes, but this was definitely the best best out you know outcome that it could have happened. Yeah, I mean it's definitely the definition of a hero is somebody who runs into flames, risking their own lives to potentially save the life of another person. So, um, you know, I don't know that we all have that courage. Uh, clearly, this man does, and uh, you know, Robbie will be very grateful for that for the rest of his life, and they'll always have that bond. Um, but it's it's uh, you don't know what you would do in that situation until you were put into that situation. Um, and this man certainly uh, you know rose to the occasion on this day. Yeah, I don't know uh, when he's going to want to get back into a race car, but uh, he will. Uh, he will have the chance to do that because of some uh, some uh, very very intellectual engineers somewhere that uh, that put together a cage that protected him. And that's the thing is, I mean, in a Formula One car, your your butt is an inch off the ground. And uh, and thankful to to that doctor who was on the extinguisher, who you know risked his own life to pull pull a young guy out of a car after a 140 mile an hour crash into the wall. Well, coming up next are on the NSN Daily, Robert Sala, the defensive coordinator of the San Francisco 49ers, now being mentioned in conversations as possibly a head coach of a team that always seems to be looking for a head coach. We'll uh, kick that around coming up next. Just over a minute left in the show. Chris, any plans for the weekend? I don't think so. No, we've just been hanging out at home. Uh, you know, maybe wrap some presents. We did, uh, we did our first round of shopping online. So, uh, you know, we've got that to do. Uh, we've got the trees up. Uh, I did not do Christmas lights on the outside of the house. I haven't done that for many years because I'm lazy. Uh, so maybe if I get an itch, I'll run over to Home Depot. But yeah, we've just been trying to stay inside, trying to get these numbers down so we can uh, finally get back to life as we used to know it and, uh, and get outside and whatnot. So, uh, you know, I don't have anything uh, major on the docket. How about you? Uh, no, not at all. I'm going to watch football and uh, just kind of kind of chill over the weekend. I'm hoping I can barbecue. I, it doesn't look like we're going to have any weather, so I'm going to barbecue. Uh, I got a nice, uh, a nice steak that's already marinating, ready to be uh, grilled up on Saturday night, and uh, excited about that. But yeah, I've certainly turned into an online shopper. I mean, I used to be one of those, oh, I'll shop the last week or whatever. 
now it's a, I find something, I'll just click. Okay, it shows up. There's There are boxes showing up at my front door. And I'm like, what the heck is, oh yeah, I remember buying that. <laughs> That's sort of a binge buying, but uh, yeah, happy happy weekend to everybody. If it is your weekend, uh, please celebrate it accordingly and socially distance. For Chris Murray and Alex Margulies, I'm Brian Samudio. We'll see you next time.